0: Brought to you by the Ark of E-Network My name is Noah And I am here today With a very special guest The man who has been holding it down On the TV Ark feed With what we can legitimately call a hit At this point One of the most popular podcasts In Ark of E-Network history Bending Not Breaking uh, One half of Bending Not Breaking Mr. Sunshine Mayfield Joins me today over the phone Say Hello
1: Hello, happy to be here. Just, uh, just excited really to talk about what is an uplifting uh, television series, movie, absolutely, series, if, if thirteen-hour
0: movie. <laughs> we'll we'll figure out what to call it. Um, if if somehow you didn't read the episode description, people might be like, oh, you know, special special guest on the TV arc. They got you know, Stranger Things just happened. Stranger Things three. Nope, nope, not talking about that. Big, big little lies are they gonna are they gonna talk about it there's only a couple episodes left they're gonna get they gotta catch up no nope. nope we're we're going back going back a couple weeks because because something did come out it it seems like at this point it, it pretty much came and went uh with yeah a really bit, uh, a bit of a whimper uh, I'm, st- I'm still I'm still kind of waiting for the the second wind of the people who randomly just find it. On Prime, I don't know if that's going to happen, man. Um, I, I don't know that anybody will stick with it. We're here to talk about Too Old to Die Young. Uh, for the second time so far on the TV arc, uh, Gavin and I did a brief little discussion. We cut into the uh, the bending, not breaking run, and we I teased it because I knew you were watching it, and you and I talk a lot off mic. We're probably, I, I think this show was like tailor-made for us. We're two of... I feel like a very small group of people who are just in the bag for Nicholas Winding Ruffin and pretty much everything he does. and
1: Which, what know, does that say about us as human beings? I, I, I don't know. And I wrestled <laughs> like...
0: with it the whole time I was watching this show. But, yeah, whereas some people, you start trying to sell them on a 13-hour movie, essentially, uh, about kind of the, the absolute depths of... Depravity uh, that humanity is capable of, uh, and arguably, like I would say, easily one of the three darkest. uh, Again, if you want to call it a TV show, but period, just like one of one of the three or four darkest things I've ever seen and ever sat through. It's a tough sell.
1: uh, Yeah, but you still haven't seen Midsummer yet. So this this is true. Uh, (laughs) That of course (laughs) you haven't
0: seen us talk about on the movie arc because we're, we're busy with old uh, Michael Mann over there. But hopefully, we'll catch that soon. I know Gavin didn't even see Hereditary in the theater, uh, so we'll, we'll see if we can convince him to, to check that one out. I would love to know what he thinks of Midsummer, And I would love to get your thoughts, too, but I don't want you to spoil anything. I, I just, I know you liked it, so...
1: I won't say a word. Good. Uh,
0: okay. So, we're, we're presuming anybody who's actually listening to this episode has at least watch some of the show at this point so we figured we'd kind of work through chronologically episode by episode uh, as kind of our general guideline so if you are in the midst of the series you can kind of you know just tap out whenever we start to get to something that you haven't gotten to yet We'll we'll try not to jump too far ahead and we'll save kind of our overall thoughts towards the back half if that works for you
1: I, yeah, you are the leader here. I'm just here for the ride. Okay, uh, well,
0: we'll w- while we're just winging it, I feel like a good place to start before we get into the show. I did this with Gavin a bit, and just your introduction to Reffin, uh, your kind of relationship to him over the years, your excitement level going into the show, and kind of overall thoughts on whether you thought it was 13 hours well spent, or, uh, you know, a bit of a waste of your time.
1: <laughs> yeah um it was so for me, I first got into to ref in through drive I think that's probably the 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 outlet that most people Absolutely. found yeah. him through um I was in a film class at the time I was at school at app state uh and doing film studies and the the marketing for that really pushed it as a Uh, Fast and the Furious style of movie, uh, Turbo, or just it really looked like a knockoff from the beginning, and you're just kind of like, What is Gosling uh, doing in this? Yeah, what What, what in the world is Gosling doing doing in this? this? Yeah, what's uh, Carrie Mulligan doing in this? Yeah, and um, in lieu of like a test, our our uh, film teacher was like, Uh, just let's go see this. You go see this instead of this essay or whatever he wanted us to write. Sounds like Um,
0: an awesome teacher.
1: Yeah, well, we were studying uh, noir at the time, noir at the time, and um, so I think he just kind of felt like it was perfect um, yeah, for that. Definitely and good synergy. Was absolutely hooked after seeing it in the theater, um, and then kind of went and backtracked and, and saw Bronson, and then tried to make it through the entire Pusher series, didn't. Um, didn't get through the whole thing, Bronson Valhalla Rising. Only God Forgives, Neon Demon, and u- ultimately, I think I saw Only God Forgives and Neon Demon. Their release weekend, mm-hmm. um, and I, so I've always, for at least for those two outings, have just been in it. And any time he puts something out, I'm I'm likely gonna watch it as quickly as I can. Yeah, um, I mean,
0: we've been riding the hype train on this show in particular for
1: well over a year. We started filming back in 2017 and I think at that point they had made some announcements and we were just kind of like, yes, when? And then it didn't even wrap until late 18, 2018. Yeah, and I think
0: it was late last year that we got the word via Cliff Martinez that the show that we originally assumed was, you know, probably going to be, you know, 45, 50 minute episodes, 10 episode season, traditional structure. Uh, that he was continuing filming, going back for some reshoots, and uh, that the editing process was also super elongated, and that Cliff Martinez had produced over 16 hours of music for this thing. So that's where we initially heard 16-hour runtime, which I assume an even longer cut exists somewhere. And I want that cut. Let me get that cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. uh, but... I'll watch the whole thing. Yes. Without so any hesitation. That, I remember,
0: like, either calling or texting. I don't know if I was at work when I first saw it or what. But immediately calling or texting you and just being like, dude, I, I have this grand theory that he had it pretty much, you know, in the can. And then he was watching Twin Peaks The Return and was like, you can do this now? You're allowed to do this? And was like, hey, Amazon, let me... Let me get a couple more mil, you know, let me, let me let me let me tweak this a little bit. And then all of a sudden we have a 13 hour movie uh, that follows none of the established rules of what a television episode is supposed to be structured like, uh, or what a series is supposed to be structured like for that matter. And at the same time, because of the runtime, is able to indulge and may force you to linger in places that most movies kind of have to keep moving things along. Uh, but he just he gets to dwell in it. Pace, uh, I think, is a, a good place to start a- as we start talking about the first episode. Yes. Because I, we mentioned it when Gavin and I talked. The first episode is a tough sell uh, for anybody who's not already in the bag for this, excited about it going into it. Well, yeah, like... well, let's
1: call it what it is. The series is a tough sell. Like it, yes, anything. The last two mo- film outings have been polarizing at best. Um, I mean, you, you either are in it or you're not, and I think the people who are in it are in it, and the people who aren't in it have no interest in in pursuing and even engaging um, with, a relationship yeah. with with Refn. Mm-hmm. Um so I think at a certain point, you just have to decide, like, is this show for you? Because it very clearly will either... You'll be in it, or you'll sit there and say, nope, not for me. Yeah. No. Uh, and pacing I, being the biggest complaint that I've seen. Uh, uh, it's like, oh, it looks beautiful, but God, is it slow. Yes, um,
0: glacially paced uh, seems to be <laughs> the the key phrase that everybody likes to keep using. I, I can't disagree with that, uh, but I do think even in that first episode, it, it starts to feel... Purposeful, and you, you get into this, this trance like state, and that's I think where he wants you for most of this. But it's a, and it's a different approach to the pacing as well because it's like there's not a lot of flashy stuff going on in the frame. It's not like I'm lingering on this because I want you to take a look around, it's more just I want you to just feel the length of this sit in the tone the vibe of it sometimes that vibe is incredibly uncomfortable uh, so I I would just be so fascinated to talk to somebody who has no real knowledge of him or relationship, just found the show and just through their natural you know well I started this thing so I'm, I kind of want to see where it goes uh, how far they made it if they made it to the end and what did they ultimately make of it because yeah there should be giant red flags all over the show, and there there's some warning labels eventually, uh, mostly in episode five. We'll get to that. Okay, so episode one, we meet our ostensibly main protagonist, Mr. Miles Teller, uh, as Martin.
1: Good Jones. old Martin.
0: Yes, good old Martin. Uh, as I referenced in the uh, the earlier episode where we discussed this, you you find out within the first hour and a half that old Martin is dating a 17 year old and he's been dating her since he or since she rather was 16 uh, and he is he's 30 now okay
1: just to clarify he is big old trashy human just a just a real <laughs> just a yes. real kind of uh, uh, and shithead. again
0: that's something that's introduced to you late in the game in the first episode and for all intents and purposes you're like this is you know this is my dude this is the hero cop you know is he dirty? Is he not? Is he maybe even undercover, like, getting dirt on his partner? What is the level of their relationship? Et cetera, et cetera. Got a lot of questions, and he continues to be pretty enigmatic for most of the series, I would argue. Uh, when you kind of think you have your head wrapped around what he's all about, there'll they'll just be a moment... Or a look, or you remind yourself uh, he's dating a 17 year old, and you have to reframe everything in your brain. So, we got that going on. Uh, His partner is killed very early in the first episode. Larry gets gunned down by Jesus, uh, who's going to be very important to the series. Okay. This is all stemming from an incident involving Martin, Larry, and Jesus's mother. Magdalena very important character
1: who yeah but even before we get to that point you have this moment for Martin where you're trying to pin whether or not he's good or bad uh you're trying to put the label on him of whether or not you're rooting for him and as his partner is pulling this girl out of the car and just outwardly creating their own me too movement um he's saying nothing and he is He's not stopping him. I believe, He's yes, not partaking the, in it. The
0: first time that he speaks is after Larry has asked the girl for her wallet, um, either to open it or to like literally hand over the cash. And the first words I think we hear from Martin are "Do it or do it." Yep. Open it. like that's it. And you're you're waiting for that moment of like, okay, when's he gonna like kind of kind of cool this off or like inter- intervene here. And it doesn't give you that. And again, we're in the first like fifteen minutes of this episode.
1: Well, so I think, and I think Ref just kind of saying you're looking for a, a, a person to root for. You're looking for a hero. They're not here. They are yeah. n- like this is not the entire first episode. You're going through it, and you're like, I am struggling to find someone to connect to that I want to win whatever is going to go down. Yes, um, and if you're a person that, like, inherently needs that
0: in most of your narratives, like, needs somebody to root for, this, <laughs> this is, is not the, the show, show for you it. at all. Uh, until late in the game, and even then, um, there, there's issues. Okay, so that's kind of, you know, the the thing that sets everything into action is the murder of Martin's partner, okay? Martin and Larry uh, had been working, and... Martin is going to continue to work for a man named Damien who runs a local criminal organization that we at the end of the day, through the entirety of this series, don't really know exactly what they do uh, where exactly they're from uh, and it, I it guess it doesn't matter, I guess it's not really that relevant, but anyways, so we got that element he's already kind of leading a double life, Martin, he's basically doing hired hits for gangsters uh in his off time and he's you know not, from what we see early on not that great of a cop so
1: do you see that as kind of a parallel to drive the moonlighting as a for sure. versus a getaway driver or uh kind of exploiting your your dark side i guess
0: yeah and I think it's it's interesting because the drive character as like pretty much outright heroic as he is in that movie, and you see all of his motivations pretty clearly spelled out for you visually. Uh, you there is the element that he is a criminal. Uh, he assists in criminal activities, and he's also a pretty brutal individual when properly motivated, uh, which totally like blows Carrie Mulligan's mind during that elevator scene so it's kind of buried just beneath the surface Martin I think is interesting in as much as he is literally walking both sides of the law and we never get because the show just doesn't give you stuff like this we never get a scene where it's like well yeah here's how I fell into working for Damien and this is how it happened boy here's how I feel about it like they, they're never going to give you a scene that just sits down and explains that. The scene well- would be terrible, first of all. So we're left to kind of parse out how we feel about each character and their moral judgments, essentially, uh, in a given situation. And I think that goes back to, like, kind of the start of his career. Because at least the first pusher... Uh, I, I have not gotten to the third one yet. I have rewatched one and two, but the first Pusher. It, these are not these are not quote unquote good guys, but it's about perspective, and simply you know the natural empathy that you feel towards a character that you're watching most of the time. You start to give a shit about Frank, the lead character in that movie, even though he's he's not a great dude. He's kind of a prick. He's a little despicable. But as things like as the walls start to close in throughout that movie. The way he sells the stress of that, and what what circumstances can drive individuals to do, uh, is really I feel like at the core of pretty much everything he does. But
1: yeah, we're, majority we're, of his characters are not a uh, yes good and, and or strip, like just...
0: stripping away a lot of the the dialogue or explanation lets you be the detective to a certain extent. I think that's something you and I talked about which is like the you would expect a show like this to have a central mystery like we're trying to figure out you know this murder, who did it, blah blah blah. It's a film noir or we're investigating this random thing we got turned on to And it's not that at all. If anything, the the mystery of the show is the characters themselves and you as the audience member are the detective to a certain extent because you're trying to Figure out: Is it okay to like this person? Is it okay to root for them? Are are these people we're about to meet in episode three, which we'll get to in just a sec? Are their motivations a hundred percent virtuous? Where do they come from? Et cetera, et cetera. So, okay. What what else major? Do you, I guess we need to talk about? We need to talk about Billy Baldwin.
1: <laughs> You're fucking Billy Baldwin, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs>
0: Yes. Uh, what a turn. What a turn. Uh,
1: it's just like his coked up Alec Baldwin impression.
0: A hundred percent. Like, yeah, that we definitely can't take credit for it. But I think everybody had the same thought the second he was was like, that's not Alec Baldwin. That is Billy. I knew Billy was going to be in the show, but he is just this is an Alec impression, right? This is like unhinged Alec Baldwin screaming at his daughter on the phone but like dialed back just a little bit yeah but he's, I, st- he's still acting at like a 12 throughout the entirety of this series uh a, a tour de force of a kind uh i thought he was fantastic I, mean, I think everybody is fantastic in this show but that's one of those how do you how do you convince somebody with any kind of profile to take that role in particular?
1: Well, it's almost like uh, Keanu Reeves showing up in Neon Demon, and he's this just, just like grimy, dirty.
0: And that, the more and more I think about it, and I've, I haven't heard him specifically state, it. I need to uh, rewatch Neon Demon with commentary. But I, if I had to guess, I think a bit of it is we all love Keanu. Like inherently, you put him on screen, and we're like, oh, I like that guy. So having him be the one to say all this heinous shit it almost takes a little like it simultaneously adds a little bit more of a sting because you're like oh I don't want Keanu talking to Elle Fanning like that like please stop but at the same time you're okay because you know you're like. Well, I know Keanu's not like that at yeah, all. You know right? Keanu's this is, Keanu. This is like, very clearly. With it. <laughs> this is very clearly just a performance. So yeah, it's like it simultaneously makes it darker and also makes you more okay with it because it's somebody you're like. Oh, it's my buddy. It's Keanu. Uh,
1: well, and one of the things I've always kind of appreciated about Refn's movies is they're always like one step outside of reality. Like there, it's all just like one mythos like to the left of reality whether it's the i'm thinking the end of this series specifically or all the imagery mm-hmm. around the high priestess of death uh death and then deanna at the end getting blinded and then getting her sight back and um or even a neon demon where it really is just like all right is, is l fanning it like an actual demon like is this something that exists in this world um yeah and so I've, I really appreciate about that. But that I think that allows the campiness, the overacting to play as in like, nope, this is just something that exists, like Billy Baldwin's character exists in this world. Yes, and it's is exactly it starts to establish
0: is. that kind of there are no rules tone of something like a Twin Peaks, for instance, where you can vacillate between like extremely dark subject matter, violence, uh, like, human tragedy and then two seconds later have like a moment of slapstick if you will or
1: which we get in in five we get that in the full uh... yes we
0: do Uh, so speaking of the tarot cards this is something I'm kind of working through as I rewatch the series which I'm slowly making my way through again because as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode uh, Big Little Lies is on right now Stranger things just happened. I am way behind the forty million people or households, rather, who have already watched all of season three. So, yeah, uh, you you and I actually haven't talked about that. Where have you even started?
1: I went to go start it last night, and the person that I stealed Netflix from had canceled their account. Oh, okay, so I, get, I, I, gotta, you, <laughs> I gotta I gotta figure it out. Up. I can get you fixed up. I fixed up on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, appreciate no it. No <laughs> problem. Yeah. I gotta I gotta get back in. Queer Eye season four happens in uh in, at the uh towards the back end of july and you know I'll i love that
0: to, i was gonna say i'll have to tell veronica because i don't think she knows she's getting new episodes
1: oh yeah um yeah this was a gem of a show she
0: burned through all of it like she just started watching it randomly after pr- probably a solid like two months of me just like hey we could always throw this on like people say it's amazing alex loves it <laughs> like yeah <laughs> uh but yeah, she just started watching it on her own and then come to find out she's watched like pretty much every episode, but she'll be she'll be excited. Hey, she's actually, she's she can probably hear me right now. But Veronica, yeah. there's, there's new, uh, new Queer Eye at the end of July. Just thought you should know.
1: Yeah, I've cried more she's, in my adult life. She's ecstatic right now. I don't know if you can hear that. She's yeah, ecstatic. Jul- July 19th, all the Jonathan Vanessa you can ask for. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but I've cried more in my adult life. You would have thought I would have cried more at uh, the uncomfortableness of Too Old to Die Young, but no. <laughs> they just. Those, uh, yeah, it was true. Guys on Queer, I hit you right in the think
0: heart. I do if, uh, if old Too Old to Die Young ever solicited tears for me.
1: Absolutely not. Not even close. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. No. Not even. Not a moment.
0: Not um, really what I go to reffin' for.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I cry a little bit at night when I go to sleep after <laughs> watching <laughs> yeah. it, but the show itself, uh, not in the moment. It's more about, you A know, bit in, in the shower that yeah, you take right. before exactly. you,
0: or after every episode. Yeah.
1: Um, so. It's not coming off.
0: <laughs> yeah. This feeling isn't coming off. So, okay. Again, we're assuming you've seen it, but we mentioned Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin is the father of said 17-year-old girlfriend of Miles Teller's character, Martin. Uh, that's Janie,
1: correct? Janie's got a gun. Janie's got a gun.
0: But she, she doesn't have a
1: gun. She doesn't,
0: Janie doesn't have a clue.
1: She should have ran away. Uh,
0: yes. Ran way far away (laughs) from the pain. Okay. We got it all in there. So, those, those are really the big beats. Uh, we, we meet Janie's dad. There's, there's a stuffed tiger. But just, there's... When, when else are you going to see that? When else are you going to see Billy Baldwin, Miles Teller, Stuffed Tiger, long single take? Like, th- that's got to be like, what, a, a 10, 12 minute conversation? Or at least it feels like it.
1: It feels it for sure. And, and it, it is. Just with the weird <laughs> sexual uh, undertones. undertones yes. The entire time of the way that he feels about his daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Creepy me I feel man. like
0: those are really the key things. And then we also have the start of. Damien's like, hey, Larry's dead, I don't care, you gotta keep working for me, you gotta make this stuff right, you gotta work off your debt,
1: essentially, you screwed up, this is your fault, for your partner getting shot. So the the tarot card for this one, the title, is The Devil, Um, and if you're going just based off of the meaning of that card, according to my Reddit research, um... If it's upright, it, it speaks to the shadow self, the attachment, addiction, restriction, and sexuality. If it's reversed, it's releasing limiting beliefs, um, exploring dark thoughts, and then detachment. And so, um, well, it seems a lot of people feel like the devil is either is likely Damien, um, or or it could be Larry who is leading Martin down this path. But Martin's doing the one who's exploring these dark thoughts and um, is clearly detached. Throughout the Very entirety so. of, and of it's, the of the episode. Yes. Detachment
0: is I feel like a key word for every episode. Uh but yeah, I I mentioned earlier that's definitely something I wanna look at as we as we go through and as I do my rewatches as well, because the element of which way the tarot card is facing having dual meanings, I feel like you can probably chart that like each side is represented within a given episode. You can uh, definitely absolutely draw parallels to each of them so i i am uh sad to say very unfamiliar with the the tarot so in watching this i was like oh these are cool tiles, and i got that it tied in but i have having no knowledge and not like doing research as i was watching them all of that aspect was lost on me until i started doing a little research afterwards i will shout it out because i think it was kind of both of our key source of research i know you said you went to reddit as well but um father son and the holy i believe uh father gore i believe is the pen name of the gentleman who wrote all of these recaps he he cranked these things out i think he just marathon the series and it which good
1: on you for doing that because that's not
0: it is i'm gonna say in argument it's the best writing i've seen devoted
1: to the series thus far to you be fair, think... there's not a lot of writing devoted to the series. <laughs> yes,
0: no, there was a lot of, hey, why did he give us episodes 4 and 5? This is bullshit. How do I review this show? And I was like, well, you could go watch it on your own time on the free... Like, I'm sure you have access to Amazon Prime if you write for a website. So, I I don't know if there was much follow-up. I have seen a few more articles trickling out, I think I saw a super positive indie wire piece on it uh, that said it, you know yes, glacially paced, but brilliant in its own way, which I 100% agree with, so uh, so end of the episode, Martin is tasked with uh, hey, you gotta go kill this guy and we have the, the scene in the chop shop, uh, this is our, our first song on the, the brilliant soundtrack that accompanies all of this Uh, But this is the first track that appears on the soundtrack. This is Naked Guy Fight by Cliff Martinez, of course. (laughs) I love the song titles. Love the song titles. Uh, This was just all kinds of tense and, like, gorgeously photographed. Glacially paced, of course. And then just an explosion of violence that's over very, very quickly. And kind of honestly established something that you and I continually brought up to each other as we'd have our little chats. I, I stayed... Pretty well ahead of you. You finished what a couple, couple days ago.
1: Uh, yeah, Fourth of July was when On Fourth of July, awesome. wrapped it.
0: But uh, this, I think, was kind of the first instance of me noticing a lot a lot of I don't know restraint. <laughs> if that's not something I expected to feel about the show, but you will continue to delve into like increasingly darker and darker subject matter, but the way that he uses the camera to communicate those things to you is kind of remarkable to me. It, it's a lot of suggestion and then making you sit with the thoughts of that suggestion, but never really showing you, like, a lot of full-on gore. There are definitely... I mean, the the violence is there. It's a Nicholas Winding Refn piece. But considering some of the places we go, I, I thought it was... I could, pretty remarkable that it it pulls its punches but it doesn't feel like it's pulling its punches you know
1: what i mean well and i don't know if, if that's even the best way to say it like you know no, it's happening you you're getting not. that feeling you know exactly what you're not seeing um and one of the biggest another one of the big complaints for the show that you see is just like yeah there's no narrative there's no storytelling it's just photography and you're just kind of like if you got to be paying attention because that everything he shoots is in um, support of the story that as it goes forward. Um, and yes, and there are some like, I feel long runners, like but it's yes. all in service of. The, I, I need like... you to have this information visually.
0: Yeah, I feel like the visual storytelling gets even more amped up and like abstract as you get deeper into the show. One thing I did encourage people to do last time. <laughs> Uh, if you're a little wobbly after the first episode but you're still you know give it I could give it a chance I could give it a chance jump immediately to three I think you'll agree with me here because two is almost the okay seriously like are you sure this is for you are you sure you want to stick through the next 11 hours of this are you sure because 2 is the slowest episode of the entire series, uh, almost entirely subtitled. I could tell you in about a minute everything that happens in the episode, but it's an hour and 20 minutes.
1: It, but it's got, it is one of the best-looking episodes, and it's where he kind of scraps his dark neon...
0: Exactly.
1: And, so and much, really so expands this, this desert kind of oh man the, the way he plays with lighting and then you get that really awesome oneer going uh, in the in the cop's office um, oh ama- amazing scene just, and then people are just like oh it drags and it drags and you're just like I could I yeah, not take my well, eyes off well, the screen I was gonna say
0: yeah you'll say it drags and it drags and it drags until you get to the end of this episode and what ultimately happens which is okay hey Zeus Returns south of the border to Mexico, uh, after having killed Larry, he he's fled America. He's avenged his mom, as, as far as he knows, and he's he's gone back home to his uncle's place, uh, Don Ricardo, correct? Correct. Who were, we get a brief scene. I say brief. It's like seven or eight minutes in the first episode. Uh, we initially see Don Ricardo having his colostomy bag changed, uh, and then. We transition to, like, Jesus is back there already. Uh, he presents the gun that he did it with. They talk about Magdalena, et cetera, et cetera. We eventually, by the end of that scene, get the established relationship. As far as Jesus knows, that is his uncle. Uh, and clearly, his uncle is very fond of his uh, late mother, Magdalena. So, we follow him back down there. And in episode two, we meet... The most important character of the entire series, Yuritsa, the mysterious, enchanting, uh, beguiling—I throw some other adjectives in there, by all means. Uh, Christina Rodlo, right now, my my probably my performance of the year. We've oh, still got, stunning! We've still got plenty of v- very we've plenty little of screen we've time. Still got some TV. Uh, yes, I mean. In the grand scheme of things, yes, you could say that, but I feel like her, just her presence, period, I mean, it is her show in my mind. Whenever I think about the show, I don't I don't think about Miles Teller, I don't think about John Hawks, I maybe I maybe think Jenna Malone first, um, but she so clearly to me is like, that's who this show is about, but it, it takes its sweet, sweet time to reveal that to you.
1: Well, and I think you get it like at the very beginning of the show, Larry's talking about like, this girl's going to kill me, man. Like, this, the women, women are the worst. They're going to, they're the death of me, right? This very misogynistic thing. And I think Refn's yes. kind of saying like, you little do you know, the high priestess of death is coming for you all. So, like, yeah. some way, shape, or another. Like, and we
0: we slowly see kind of the ratcheting up of the social commentary. And his kind of bizarro, surreal version of that. Most of it isolated to the police station, uh, <laughs> which we get to in episode three. Okay, all that really happens in episode two, uh, eventually Don Ricardo dies, and his son, Miguel, who's kind of the black sheep of the family, if you will, uh, he, he's going to take over. Is he going to keep the peace with the police? Uh, no. No might have a little something to do with the fact that he just lost you know several thousands of dollars in this soccer bet Uh, and again that goes back to that extremely long scene was all to set up like they're joking back and forth they bet on this game he loses the game Don Ricardo dies later that evening it's like well I could either you know keep the peace and pay off this chief of police or oh wait I'm now the head of the cartel or this chapter of the cartel I could kill all of the police in the area and just own whatever I want down here, <laughs> which is what they do at the end of the episode. They execute uh, pretty much all of the police force in their little town, and that—that's where we leave it, if I'm not mistaken. We don't—we yep. don't know what's going to happen with Miguel for for quite a while, for about three episodes.
1: Yeah, and the tarot card for this is the lovers, and so upright love, harmony, relationships. Uh, values aligning and choices, reversed uh, disharmony, self-love, um, misalignment of values. And so, yeah, you get both of those. And as you see Jesus and, and Don Ricardo feeling the same way um, about what this cartel should be. Then you've got Miguel and, and his uh, right-hand man who are who just kind of seem, seem like they're just kicking at his buddies. And they're like, great, we got this cartel now. Let's go get blitzed and um, be drug lords. And you get Jesus on the back side of it who's just like, nope, this is going to be my thing. This is going to be what I'm bringing forward, and I'm going to continue Don Ricardo's mission. Um, yes. And again, and again, the
0: show, which constantly loves to take left turns or just slight left turns from where you think it might go, they, they don't come in to direct conflict, uh, Miguel and Jesus. If I remember correctly um part of the climax of this episode is them having almost a a ritualistic shower in cocaine uh as if he's anointing him (laughs) that does that's episode two correct
1: yeah i think you're right yes yes
0: uh so yeah you know i was fully prepared for like okay we're gonna get like the war for the cartel down in mexico that's going to be going on while all this other stuff is going on, and then we'll eventually bring it together, maybe. We'll see what happens. That does not go that way. Okay. So, moving into episode three. We talk about the police station a little bit, and then I think kind of like three through five, we can kind of cluster together a little bit. Um, if you haven't made it to episode five. That's God the one. People, that's the ticket. That, that's the... Again, that's part of the two that he screened at Cannes, uh, and it's. <laughs> I th- I think it's the roughest episode. Uh, well, I don't know that, how you felt. I it's I don't know if I had a tougher time sitting through one. Uh, I mean that opening
1: that for sure is um, brutal in five. Um, yes. It's weird because it is definitely it, to me. It feels like the most out of place episode as it comes to like pacing story, what's going on, a lot happens in five, and it's messed up. But if you were to sit there and say, like, hey, watch episode five of Too Old to Die Young, you are not getting a great look into what the rest of the series is. Very Um, true. But you're also- But it is a great episode. (laughs) You're also
0: getting a great standalone isolated thing that I think has the potential to possibly compel some people who may have looked right past this to just jump on board. But I, I don't recommend just diving into it, other than the fact that, again, the runtime on it, it's basic. I mean, they're, each episode feels like essentially its own movie. But this one truly does. I mean, it's, it's Martin's trip down to Mexico. Why does he go down to Mexico? Because in episode three, um, he meets two very important people <clears throat> portrayed by uh, two of the best actors on the show, two of my just personal favorites in general. Uh, Jenna Malone, who is a victim's advocate uh with a she like with the police department
1: she works for a law
0: firm like what is the distinction exactly?
1: It almost seemed like a referral type program or like a uh either lawyer or cop so like hey, clearly my guess is probably more on a if a lawyer was like, hey, I know this didn't pan out for you, but here's uh a therapist here's a little bit of place for support was kind of how I viewed it. Um, I don't know if they were more specific about it, but that's from my memory. That's kind of what, what I was kind of led to believe.
0: Uh, so Martin goes to investigate her after basically piecing together, uh, that the individual responsible for a body that he found, uh, on his local beat. Now that he is a, a detective, uh, he, he's moving up in the world very quickly. Uh, comes across this body basically pieces together through a little bit of detective work that it's this guy named Vigo Larson Vigo Larson is played by Mr. John Hawks who opens this episode by putting his fake eye in his head and you and I never actually (laughs) talked about this but I remember sending you a text because we were it was just a lot of like joyful just like dude I can't believe like it's it's available we can watch it now so we're like going back and forth a little bit and I was just like, dude, when, when you get to Hawks' introduction in episode three, like, you gotta text me. Because, again, the the stingers at the beginning of every episode, like, the way the title card literally comes in... Loved everyone. Just, yes, they're all brilliant. But that one, with the music cue, and just, like, what? Wait, what? Is he put, he's putting his eyes in? What's going on? I was just immediately on board. Vigo is ex-FBI... And I don't know if we flat out get it revealed in three or four, but basically what we find out, she sets sets them up and Vigo knocks them down. When people fall through the cracks or people get away with specifically uh, sexual-related crimes, mostly, I think, specifically targeting pedophiles and rapists in general, actually. Uh, When these things fall through the cracks or extra justice needs to be doled out, Vigo just goes and finds him and, and kills them uh based on the research and the names that he gets from Jenna Malone whose character name is escaping me right now what? Diane Diana. Diana
1: thank you Diane Diana
0: yes so the the show all of the sudden has has a plot it has some some things going on. You has can some ca- meat going on. Yeah, you can start to see a trajectory of like, okay, does does Martin like is he trying to bust these guys? Does he want to be a part of this? And that's what's ultimately revealed in a fantastic scene, uh, in the diner at at the end of the episode. But he's been he's been tailing Vigo throughout the episode, and he's literally just standing outside of his place in the parking lot, and it's just like. I don't want to arrest you. I just want to talk. I'm going to the diner over here. Like, you know, if you want to chat, show up. Just great scene between the two of them. Their whole dynamic, which is very, very understated uh, throughout the series, but builds to what, for me, now that I'm recalling it, I, I may have spoke too soon earlier. I I think I got a little choked up at a, at a particular scene between Hawks and, and Miles Teller.
1: We'll get to it. Yes, on okay. the bed. Yes. Yeah. And The uh, title of the show is encapsulated in that shot. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, so, that
0: four is Vigo basically bringing Martin into their world. This is what we do. This is how we track people down. You know, we only take out bad people, et cetera, et cetera. This is still being juxtaposed with Martin having to work for Damien. And it's not until after he meets Vigo and kind of sees another path forward it's like I've been doing a lot of stuff with a a lot of detachment from it just kind of because uh, because of context because reasons I guess but maybe there's a way for me to continue to do these things but with some sort of purpose. Uh, What if I
1: only take out the trash. What if I only kill bad guys? And well, and I wonder what he's doing here. Like I wonder because at a certain point, I remember the line: uh, "You like the blood." Like you, like I think that's uh-huh. Damien says that to Martin. You like the blood, um, and I think he's wondering if like this is a path that he will find fulfillment in because he's clearly not finding yes, it. Yes, this is anywhere also. Else.
0: I mean, he's been on the job as a detective for just a couple weeks now. We get our first scenes at the police department where the incomparable Hart Bachner, um, from Die Hard, Ellis from Die Hard for most people, who I was very excited to see in the show and kind of in the back of my head was like, Oh, he'll, you know, he'll probably pop up for two seconds. I just, I happen to recognize his face in the cast list on IMDb. So happy to see that he, he gets a lot to do, um. He gets a lot of a lot scenery, to,
1: to chew on, <laughs> uh, and he incl- chews it well. Including an entire, I, I like how he yes, Passion of the Christ reenactment.
0: <laughs> yes, an entire passion play in in the midst of the LAPD offices to send off Martin. <laughs> just, also a highlight scene I, of the entire series. Just, you watch for it for sure.
1: Because even Martin in that scene, and I know we're getting a little bit ahead, is he's just like I just and, and I'm again, fucking done that, with this and <laughs> and yes. They are taking it so seriously, and that entire crew is so bought in.
0: Yeah, and his the right-hand man to the lieutenant who just, like, you know, hangs on his every word, just, like, absolutely loves this guy, wants to
1: be this guy. Well, and to be fair, though— What it, a piece of shit. It does kind of parallel, because, I mean, I don't know if I would consider it overt, but to me it was pretty obvious, is you got Jesus, Jesus, and Magdalena, Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the comparisons yeah. right there, the biblical references are th- scattered throughout— Oh um, it definitely wears them on the sleeve. Uh this is
0: where the fact that I am not a Sunday school kid does not come in handy. Uh because I miss out on a lot of this stuff where I'm like I know there's religious references here, but I don't quite know how to connect them all. Well, and, but you know, if we're dealing with Jesus and Mary Magdalene, I can I
1: can wrap my head around those. Well, and I, one of the I know some of these people. Yeah, and one of the weird things about that is that uh, the incestuous nature of Jesus's obsession with his mother um yes and it's kind of like Jesus
0: and Oedipus got together and yes it's a it's a, a weird a conversation
1: it's a weird Oedipal complex for sure um but hey, but Jesus and and Mary Magdalene you know there was always like was there a romantic relationship there and I'm speaking a little bit out of my own um ass here because it's, it's like that I think most people say like no there wasn't but that was always kind of the argument
0: being that it's essentially it's immaculate conception. So it's it's only a little weird, right? Like, yeah, I, I guess I've heard similar things, but this, the show definitely takes, uh, takes its religious imagery and turns it on its head in a lot of, uh, interesting ways. So, uh, that's kind of the main thrust of four, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And basically back half of the episode, he goes to Damien's tasked him with hey I need you to kill another guy Martin's like ah, let me take a second on this let me let me pump the brakes a little bit and he asked the guy hey what do you owe Damien key thing I rewatched uh, the first episode so far uh, with shout out to Tim Niles while he was down here for uh, July 4th week tried to sell him on it hopefully he's he's watched a couple more episodes by now we'll see in the very first episode, when Martin goes to meet Damien for the first time, the guy who's forced to like get on all fours and slap himself as he exits the, his meeting with Damian—it's mm-hmm. the—it's the Asian guy from episode four.
1: Gotcha, which makes yeah, sense. Just
0: lo- just little things like that—that that happening within the first episode made me go, "Of course, I've got to rewatch this show." Well, and then the- because how how much was he like literally setting up just like in bits where you're so lost and like. Well, there's a dude crawling on all fours, slapping himself. Like, this is some dark comedy and, like, this, you know, incongruous music's playing in the background. Where are we? This is an ice skating rink in the middle of L.A. What, what are we doing? Like, all of that stuff. And I was like, oh, no, he's actually, like, there's this little mini story arc with this guy who owes Damien money. Presumably that's the conversation they just had where it was like, you owe me. Get the hell out of here. I'll, I'll check back in on you soon. He doesn't come back, so then Martin is tasked with killing him. Martin don't want to do that. So he he says, Hey, get the money that you owe him, and then we'll go talk to him together. Let's see if we can, you know, get you out of this essentially. Well,
1: and then the other thing did you notice um was that the girl that they pulled over um at the in the first episode is the waitress from episode nine.
0: Did not catch that. Yep boom did not at all okay yeah this is it's gonna reward rewatches I'm telling you okay so he tells Damien hey I don't want to like I don't want to do this nickel and dime bullshit I don't want to just kill people for you because they owe you money like that's not that's not my deal anymore period Damien's like I can understand that okay like what do you, you know we can find something else for you to do and that right there I was like he's so casual initially that it's like, so can't he just like be like, why don't you guys just part ways right here? But that's not even addressed. It is literally just like, we can find something else for you to do within the organization. Like, clearly, yeah, you're still gonna, like, I own you. He's valuable. Yes. <clears throat> so, Martin has the the fantastic line from the trailer, I, I want the worst guys you got. And that sets us up for episode 5 where he takes a little uh little trip down to New Mexico okay uh and you and I I mean I feel like you and I did like an hour about this episode over the phone together we can definitely truncate it we've already highlighted it a bit but uh it's it's a standalone essentially. it's it's a, a different kind of bottle episode if you will i don't think we cut away to anybody else we we're just with martin mm-hmm.
1: whole, on his journey and it's considered the highest the rated show. episode of the series
0: and and i think in are you i think there are some episodes in the back half that eclipse it in terms of what they mean to the series but i think a sheer pound for pound like entertainment level audaciousness just i've never seen anything like this episode 5 kind of has it all wrapped up in one semi-nice neat little bow because again I think you can watch it in isolation almost as a movie I I think you would find it a little unsatisfying narratively but I think you would still be able to track it and kind of piece together like okay I think I know who this character is or what they're all about so you open again with what I I hope takes the cake for the most disturbing thing I've seen all year Chernobyl uh, was Chernobyl episode four was the the high mark uh, for a bit, and then I saw episode five of Too Old to Die Young, which eclipsed it for me. Now, people who have seen both shows are are screaming into their iPhones, whatever, right now, because Chernobyl was a, a real event, something that actually happened, and the the content of episode four. It's just like, it's one of those, you cannot not be moved by it if you have, like, a beating heart in your body. If, there if is, you're not like, a
1: sociopath, you will feel things.
0: Even even if you are a sociopath, I feel like that episode would get to you. It is so next level. I, I talked to you about it briefly. I know you haven't gotten to it yet. Um, I almost was like, I don't know if I can watch episode five. Like, this has to be as bad as it gets. Um, because I can't do anything more than this, and it was like, okay, there's only one more left. I think this is just gonna be them wrapping up and like you know sitting in a courtroom for like an hour. I can deal with that, but episode four, we'll talk when you get to it, man. It's rough. Yeah, other rough shows. But the first, but all of that being said, the first five minutes of this episode just perfectly acted. Every single moment of it. I have never like I can never look at James Rubaniac the same. I will never be able to watch the office
1: with the same lens on the episodes that he's around.
0: I just can't
1: do it, man. Like he
0: I think I told you about this I was watching (laughs) I was watching documentary now. The most recent season had been posted on Netflix, and I was catching up on him. Partly as an antidote to Too Old to Die Young, not that I mean I didn't take like that many breaks from it, and I would watch like sometimes two, sometimes three episodes in an evening. Not not good for the, the heart or the soul. But I'm watching documentary now, and Urbaniac shows up, and I had literally watched episode five the night before, and I had to turn it off. Like I was like, even though this is comedy, I can't watch this right now with him in this. I just it was he's so, perfectly disturbing. Uh, just terrifying terrifying in a totally like he's not physically imposing but the the way he throws away the harshness of that dialogue like he's kind of relishing it and having fun with it he's also it's like this is old hat to him he's like yeah this is like this is how i talk like this is not a big deal and it makes it that much creepier anyways the two brothers that Martin is tasked with dealing with, they make uh, hardcore pornography slash snuff films and rape films, okay? We're told that before we even start this episode, so you you know what you're getting in for, okay? And then it even ups the ante, so opening, ugh, so cringeworthy, and then we pull back outside of this compound where all this is going down at, and we see martin's already there he's already tailing him and we basically have a, a nice half hour or more of cat and mouse uh of a little undercover pretending to be a drifter who just broke up with his girlfriend possibly interested in becoming an actor blah blah, blah. Uh, again another great moment of restraint they show him cell phone footage Uh, Of one of their films to kind of gauge like hey is this guy like is he cool with this some more intense shit essentially and he plays it perfectly Uh, again I it bugs me a bit it bugs me a lot that pretty much everything I read about Teller's performance in any of the criticism is just oh he's just doing proto Gosling he's just doing the like I'm just not gonna say much I'm just, you know, he barely speaks and he just, you know, just kind of stoic. And that's that. It's, there's more going on there. There's, there's a lot more depth. And again, I don't think he's spelling things out for you. I do think he is doing the blank slate thing quite a bit. Yeah. But that's a reference know, staple. That is a reference staple. I, I was re watching behind the scenes on Only God Forgives and he and like, He makes Tom Burke do, like, five or six takes back-to-back of this, like, walking... Just walking into the brothel in the, like, the early goings of Only God Forgives. Just a single shot of him walking in there. And he keeps cutting, and he keeps telling him... He says, take... He's like, don't force it. Take all the emotion out of your face. He's like, I don't want... Like, don't show me anything. Just take it away. And it's kind of crazy when you're like, that's his go-to because I feel like most actors get extremely uncomfortable when you tell them, don't use your face. Like, no, lock it in, don't give me anything, let me come to you, essentially. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are not in tune with that style, so you see some people... I Clearly, he casts very well, and the people that work with him are excited too, because I, I don't feel like I've seen an instance where like, Oh, this person was in a completely different movie. Like, he always seems... He has that Lynchian ability to get people to just slip right into the groove that he wants them to be in. Not how everybody else is used to seeing them, necessarily. Not even playing to their strengths in most cases. But it's, you know... They're there for him, essentially, is what it feels like. And from the brief... Uh, things I've heard through the can interviews, like it seems like he had a really good experience. I would look forward to the two of them possibly working together again in the future. But more than that, I just want him to do anything and everything starring Christina Rodlow for for the rest of time in perpetuity.
1: Well, yeah, because she's kind of that character throughout the whole thing as well. Like for her, it's the same exact thing. It's this. Stoic... Oh, I spent
0: I spent so man. I mean, literally hours watching the show and then thinking about the show when I was not watching it just contemplating what was going on with her character before it was ultimately kind of I, again, beautifully like spelled out but not spelled out for us in, in the way that like I love that the show never just never had like a false note of dialogue where it's like here is some clunky exposition to tell you how we're feeling and to just telegraph everything for you it, it again it does not operate on traditional terms of a TV show or a movie for that matter okay so he tracks down the brothers cat and mouse game ensues uh he eventually lets them lure him back to their warehouse but uh the lure is the lurey I have never said that word before it's not a word there we go uh he has to kill Urbaniak. The other brother slips away. Okay. I, we can breeze right over what he was doing for the <laughs> the interim. <laughs> and basically, we're into a, uh, the, the most like intense low speed car chase of all time. The
1: revving of the electric car throughout this entire scene, uh, was absolutely hilarious. And then, um, the, <laughs> Them reminiscing over their fallen brother, uh, to the tunes of Barry Manilow, was just exactly what you needed to, sp- to break up this episode. Yes, I
0: desperately needed some sort of relief from, it. and I was just getting a pure pleasure on just like the staging of some of it. The again, I dark comedy all day long, please. Uh, so I, I was on board for it. Anyways, we got the low-speed car chase. It's phenomenal. Uh, culminates with basically dragging... The br- the brother thinks that he's there for something else. Uh, there's kind of a misunderstanding, but Martin takes this as an opportunity to be like, wait, you th- but hear about the girl, what? And takes him out to his trailer. Out in the middle of the desert, there's a girl in a box. Uh, he frees her, and she promptly stabs Martin. That's where we end this
1: episode. As you do if you just got released from a coffin that was buried underground... Oh, hundred percent, and I loved the.
0: I was because I fully expected him to possibly do something like this. I was ready for like, oh, that's the end of Miles Teller on this show. He's just gonna bleed out in the desert. I really, I I would not put it past Reven to just leave it there, and the ultimate, just like, yeah, he he had quote unquote good intentions, but. Are his morals 100% sound? Like, in his everyday life, in his personal life, I don't know. Does, does he deserve full redemption or to be looked upon as a hero? Maybe he doesn't. So, I was like, oh, maybe they'll leave him in the desert. They, 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 they don't, but they, they make you think about it for a second or two. Because, episode six, guess who comes back to America? Jesus and his new bride... And Chandler Bing's mother. Yes. uh, As their former neighbor. That whole aspect of Jesus had this whole life before where we opened the series at. He's now gone down to Mexico. There's, you know, running jokes about, like, you got to learn Spanish. Your Spanish has got to get better, blah, blah, blah. Seeing him then be so, like, back at home comfortable with all of the you know the rich white people around them Uh, and seeing that juxtaposed with like Yuritsa getting a glimpse at like okay we're still you know yes we're married but basically for cartel purposes I don't really know how I feel about you as an individual this is kind of a getting to know you sort of scenario I don't know how my and I feel like this is key, again, spoilers if you haven't really gotten past this point, I feel like this episode in particular is key for kind of gauging where she's at headspace-wise. I feel like the more that she sees how much he's quote-unquote been corrupted by um, American society, or just the way he was raised in general, being raised within this criminal organization, uh, whatever weird incestuous relationship he may or may not have had with his mother they, they, they did have one i don't know why i said may or may not have i think she is already calculating right here i think she was maybe on the fence about could this guy be an ally or is he a pawn and i think this episode is her essentially deciding which way she falls on that
1: yeah so it's it's super interesting to me so the high priestess is the card of this episode intuition sacred knowledge divine femininity all plays a big role for the upright version of this and then secrets disconnected from intuition and withdrawal from uh is the reverse section and yeah you kind of you definitely get both sides of the card again just like every other episode you've got magdalena and Eureka, who is just a reincarnated form of magdalena uh through and through um both kind of divine femininity Uh, she's a witch right like Eureka! at this point, like... It, it, I, she's a... a I, <laughs> you kind of get your first, like... I think
0: you can... Yeah, you can kind of look at her... I mean, she she's however you want to take her, and how the extent to which you want to kind of engage with the supernatural aspects of the show, I think are kind of up to you. But, but they're there. They're there. Oh, 100% they're there. I mean, they are, like, there with a bang by the time we get to episode 9, for sure. But... I, I mean, again, that's the stuff I'm wrestling with, and still trying to gauge her motivations, like, I don't know, is she trustworthy, and at this point, I'm still, like, I'm on the Jesus train, I'm like, yeah, dude, get revenge for your mom, yeah, come back to America and take your empire back from, like, all these people, like, yeah, I, I'm totally buying into it. It's not until very late in the game with Jesus where I'm like, "Oh, never mind. That would be a big mistake." Well,
1: so from the get-go in this episode, I she, Yurita seems like she controls the power. Everything that's happening is she's she's observing, she's learning, but then it's a conscious decision to be like, "I'm gonna get Jesus in the palm of my hand. I'm gonna get, yes. I mean, he's gonna open up to me. I'm gonna understand him. I'm gonna make sure that you know." Though he might feel like he's in control of everything, I'm the one who's really, you know, holding the cards. Um, mm-hmm. And you really start to see her as the major player. The point that this show exists is she is your Gosling. She is your hero um, that, you're, that you're rooting for. Um, and we've already seen her release um, some of the girls that have been trafficked Um, by this
0: point, we totally, yeah, we totally glossed over that part of, that's kind of one of the big reveals of episode two is, uh, yeah, she's told by Miguel, Hey, after we're done with this girl, uh, take her and sell her to one of the other gangs. And she, we, I I was hoping this scene was going to go a different way. And luckily it did. But she she doesn't sell her. Uh, she kills the dude point blank and basically tells her to run. And that's the first inclination that like she's there's something going on with her. But I immediately was like, okay, that was I mean that that's all a positive right there. You got her out of this terrible situation. Good, okay. I like I like where your head's at. And then we slowly see, see the progression and the the party to me in episode six is kind of key we get to see Janie outside of the Martin narrative. It's a little bit of a crossover here that I wasn't expecting, but totally welcome. And <laughs> Slaps the shit out of her. <laughs> well, yes, and again, you, you and I had, we, you know, when we talked over the phone, you and I had varying opinions on Janie, because I, I was not a fan from the get-go, mainly because of just the dynamic of the relationship, but beyond that, I don't think she's I don't think she's a particularly likable character, but I don't know that she's necessarily supposed to be.
1: Well, it's like she hadn't done anything the, wrong, right? Like, she, yeah, she was from a rich family, and but ultimately her... She, she, seem, she seems very much like an innocent for all she's intents and a, purposes. She's a cautionary tale throughout the series, right? Like, she is the... You gotta watch who you're, you know, befriending. You gotta watch what you're doing. Um, you can't just kind of live a life but, of... You get to do what you want all the time. Um,
0: and part of it might may be informed by the death of the mother and everything, but we do eventually get to like her darker semi twisted side, which is an element that's not necessarily present from the get go, but there's yeah, Janie's Janie's an interesting character. Very interesting.
1: In the character. scene that you're speaking of, I'm guessing is uh when Martin's wounds open up from when they're sleeping together after her 18th birthday. Yes,
0: so yes, in episode, okay, in episode six, she, inform, in the midst of the party scene, she mentions to her friend yeah, Martin couldn't make it, he got stabbed, <laughs> like, and they're like, oh, okay, and it's like, yeah, he'll be fine though, just some cop stuff. It's like, yeah, okay, cop stuff. So, <laughs> Yuritsa slaps her around, which I, I was
1: totally on board with not just life. like baby slaps like they play two truths no, and a lie viciously yes. she says you know pick pick the lie that was that was
0: the equivalent of gosling and only god forgives when he smashes the whiskey glass and then uh does the tooth grab on the guy or the i'm gonna grab you by the roof of your mouth and drag
1: you down the yes. hallway uh
0: that was the female equivalent of that <laughs> the The polite version of that,
1: I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, and she says, you know, I've killed 23 people. I think the number's 23, something like that. Um, And she's like, you haven't done that. And then just just winds up and just slaps the hell out of her. Um, Which, like, Mm -hmm. in the moment, you're like, oh, dang. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, so end of that episode, that it kind of, she has sealed the deal uh, as far as Jesus is concerned she has completely like taken him over. Also worth mentioning, uh who's who's the henchman?
1: Alfonso? Alfonso. Is that the the guy you're talking about who uh, like kind of makes the misogynistic comments about like whether or not she can handle the gun and stuff like that? Yeah. Yes.
0: Uh Alfonso. I think that's right. Is is high on the list uh for like your second tier superstars I think he is one of the best Supporting characters One of the best supporting performances In the series uh, the, the dressing down that Jesus gives him At the end of episode 6 Is one of my favorite things And then he, he's got some great stuff to do Throughout the rest of the series Episode 7 We move into The, the gang war Correct or no, does six begin with, we've got to kill Damien? So, I can't remember. The magician is the... Is that, excuse me. Six opens, six opens still in Mexico. We're introduced to the fact that Jesus and Yuritsa are now married. And it's, we're going to go back north. And he wants to make a statement when he comes back. So he wants um, Damien gone. So the first chunk of the episode is the hilariously inept attempts at assassinating Damien. It basically gets passed down the rung of Hitman. Oh my gosh. And the you know the pay payout for the job gets less and less down the rung cuz everybody's trying to like make a little off the top and not have to do it themselves. And it culminates when the meth head who has been tasked with with for killing for $200. Him, <laughs> <laughs> yes $200 at this point which I think the original offer is like north of it's like $7,000 yeah. yeah it's it's a high number anyways so the meth head who eventually gets tasked with this has has a picture and I think probably my biggest laugh of the entire series was when he ripped up the wrong side of the picture to snort the meth with because his girl, junkie girlfriend had stolen the pipe apparently and then gets on his bike to go do this hit all amped up and the, like the realization in my head of like yeah he's a uh, he doesn't have the right guy <laughs> he's that's not Damien. uh i i was laughing so hard uh probably you know if anybody saw this from a distance if you observed it from a third person perspective i look like probably pretty maniacal but my just escalating laughter until the point where Damien's right hand gets shot down. You you also have you have Damien. Like bop into Jamaican music. Just da- just dancing. Just dancing their asses off out under the street lights. And like the fact that the guy freezes right past them. <laughs> kills the right hand man and still doesn't even manage to get away. Like Damien just runs out and guns the dude down. That's that.
1: Hope just Alfonso's like we got him. <laughs>
0: one of the one of the best, just like comedy of errors, like you know, you can you can throw Tarantino at me, et cetera, et cetera. But like of that ilk, this is this is just gold,
1: man. This this scene plays. This was so great. And gold. then the title card hits after twelve minutes of this.
0: Yes, the longest intro. I think it was twenty minutes, literally twenty minutes. I think this is the longest one of the entire series before we cut into it because it's basically like here's the job here's the setup we do the, the credits and then when we come back Jesus is in uh, back in his mom's yep. house now okay so eventually they get their hands on I can't remember if this is six or seven is it seven eventually as the as the drug war escalates on American turf now uh, Damien and Jesus' forces going back and forth We don't see a ton of this. We see a lot of the aftermath of it. Right. And it happens very, very quickly. But basically, Damien's whole crew gets wiped out. All that's left are his hands. Uh, Martin and Vigo discover this. Oh, and... Shit. They discover it on the way home from disposing of something, right? They
1: do. They discover it on the way back from disposing That's... of Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin! Because <laughs> you get this <laughs> yes, entire okay. episode where Janie, after the slap fighting, Janie turns 18, she has her birthday, um, Martin has to go... You mentioned the scene earlier, Martin still has his scars from the knife, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Uh, he,
0: he stays the night. I We talked about this scene over the phone. I was fully convinced that she had murdered Martin in his sleep and that we were about to take a hard left turn into Janie being some kind of like serial killer possibly Uh,
1: it did not go that way but she's (laughs) covered in his blood and and what was reminiscent to me of um, the scene in raw where she wakes up and realizes it like yes absolutely her roommate is you know dead (laughs) so that's exactly where my my mind was like Martin's dead (laughs) Like maybe maybe oh, by yeah, accident, okay. but he so, bled out in again, the evening. <laughs> at,
0: at, at this point, this is the second time I have assumed. Oh, Miles Teller's done now, right? <laughs> He's out of the show. Okay, so the next morning, she's she's gone. But once again, Billy Baldwin just checking out the the thirty year old dude that his seventeen year old daughter she's is banging. She's eighteen at this a conversation
1: point. With excuse me not that that makes miles 18. teller any less of a trash human <laughs>
0: yes we should we should mention for those of you who are just like i'm just gonna listen to this episode i'm not gonna watch this fucking show they met at the scene of her mother's fatal accident he was the responding officer this is so not okay <laughs> Well I and they don't try they don't try to convince no, you. There's nothing I think okay that's about like this. I
1: think a lot of times you get critiques of like all oh, reference he's just really like this is really just porn to him. Like he is, you know, just super obsessed with this. And I think at any point you sit there and say, um No, I think that he very much is saying like there's at no way, shape or form does he paint Martin as the hero in this. Like I think it is very clear yeah. that he is saying, like, nope, this dude is a shithead. He will get his come up ins Trust me, um, and he does, but yeah, I, this isn't just like well, I'm gonna do this because I want him to have sex with a 17 year old. It's nope. I need to really paint to you how terrible yeah, this human no, is. Yeah, because
0: it really, it really is the core like moral flaw that holds you back from being able to completely identify with him throughout most of the show at least me personally Now, there's some other people that may like not have not find an obstacle at all but I think it is intentionally supposed to be problematic for a reason because I've still and part of why I want to rewatch it I'm still struggling with what I think Martin ultimately represents as a character because we've got plenty of examples of toxic masculinity throughout this show Okay, we have we have Damien in the first episode uh, saying like, you know, what are you going to do to Larry's girlfriend that they apprehended everything? Uh, I've got I got a lot of guys who hate women like that's what we're going to do. Like, again, I don't know if that's a ref line. I don't know if that's a Brubaker line. That's brilliant. Like that that line in and of itself is rough enough. You don't need to show me anything else that happens. You can cut out of that room that they're in. At the, towards the end of that episode you don't need to give me any more than that but what slowly builds and I mean it's in the very first scene which is the way Larry's talking what slowly builds is like this is this is just a, a terrible place to exist right now and it's like well the place that it's talking about is just like the world right yeah okay <laughs> but with all of that in mind you know we got the we got the brothers in new mexico clearly like evil people okay what do you, what do you think martin if you had to contextualize it or kind of like oh i need to slot him into what he represents within this movement or this conversation what is he because he seems like he's trying to actively m- make the world a better place in his own weird fucked up way but at least like I have these tendencies whatever at least I can do not I don't, do I don't think he purpose. is
1: I really don't think he is um, like I think he is trying to find what speaks to him cause I don't think anything does like I don't think he finds connection in anything that he does and so he's he's trying multiple different ways to kind of find what is going to make him feel um anything um because I think he's mm-hmm. numb. I think he goes to the world numb, and I think yeah, and
0: you 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 could say that yeah, he's essentially at neutral when we start the series. He's p- presumably done some pretty terrible things, um, may or may not feel good or bad or indifferent about them, but it's really not until he sees Vigo, like hey, here's this guy who's. A, a, a good killer. He's good at what he does. He, he's a little clumsy from time to time. He's getting a little up there in age. He is dying. We haven't mentioned that yet, uh, but I think he just he's he sees a code there, something that he kind of thinks that he has, or maybe or could just really get wants behind to, cling yeah. to. Yeah. Um. But I, I I've been trying to like come up with an angle on it and none of them really feel 100% appropriate but I was like is this almost the you know the guy who who thinks that he's woke so to speak or like up on women's issues etc etc but really at the end of the day just uses that as a means to like further manipulate Further manipulate them, like oh, I'm on your side. I'm one of the good ones. Yeah, like that SNL skit where like someone
1: sh- wears like I'm a shit at right. heart. Um, kind you know? of. I think for me, it's uh, probably a little bit further removed from that. I think it's the, um, I guess if you yeah, go from th- if, you, I mean, go from honestly, bro- if you go from the brother if you go from the brothers to Miles Teller to to Vigo, um, you get this kind of like well, at least I'm not that bad, right? Like at least I'm not them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of what it more represents is someone's like I'm not. Sexist. I'm not, you know, misogynistic. I'm not those guys. Mm-hmm. Look at those guys. Those guys are, or that. Um, speaking to you know, in context of the brothers. So Miles gets to say like, Martin gets to say, I'm not these guys, right? Like, but there's there is yeah. this dynamic where he's like, he tells a real story and where that, he says, Yeah, I hooked up with a 16 year old I met, and she was my girlfriend, and the the
0: yeah. there's a little bit of that like misplaced hero complex kind of thing too like he you know in his head he's probably the hero of this narrative like protecting Janie from her possibly like abusive or manipulative father by killing him and hiding the body and never saying anything about it Um you know in his head that the context I'm protecting like her is yeah justified in the moment and like I I'm saying right there, the, the hero complex shit, the idea that she needs to be saved in the first place, that you're the one that needs to do that. You're the only way that she's ever going to get out of this kind of thing. Um, he kind of like, he wants to be a white knight, almost like he thinks it will morally justify... The questionable things he's done in his well, and life, and continues if to do. He can this do isn't a
1: good thing, and continue to do good things. Like he can balance the scales a little bit, and maybe that's what uh, it is. Maybe that's his like. Maybe I can't balance the scales, um, and be better. Um, because I, I don't think well, I think he knows that, that what he's done is wrong. I think he knows what he's doing is wrong. Um,
0: I think that's very key in the. I think that's the beginning of eight. Is it's either the beginning of seven or eight but Jenna Malone kind of interviewing him, the questions that they ask and everything. And she eventually hits on that point of like, you know, an underage girl um, hits on you. Well, what do you do? And he's like, I walk away. And it's like, well, clearly you didn't like, you didn't do that. Is this like a new moral standing going forward that like you recognize that this was wrong, but like it doesn't, it doesn't come up in that sequence. And then shortly thereafter, we're into episode eight. We're kind of, the shit hits the fan, essentially. Uh, so, if there's anything else you want to hit that I'm, that I'm glossing over, by all means, jump in. But, in episode 8, we finally get what I had kind of been expecting. Partly because I thought it would be a nice Nicholas winning reference subversion. I also am f- very familiar with a lot of noir tropes one key element especially to a lot of los angeles based noirs that involve any kind of partner duo whether it's like i'm the main investigator this is just my buddy who like gets me the information on the street or it's literally two cops there's a lot of one guy's building up the mystery blah 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 blah, blah. he's figuring clues out and then he gets too close to it and he dies and it's left to the right-hand man, the the buddy, the guy who you didn't think was the focus of anything, to essentially come in at the end of the day, piece together everything the friend already had, avenge their buddy's death and solve the case like kind of all at once, like carry carry it home, essentially. There's a lot of stuff that ends like this. So, I'm I'm kind of expecting at some point Especially the more and more I'm starting to kind of grasp what the show is about or what it has to say. And it's building up what's very clearly a very feminist narrative. Okay. So when we get to episode eight, and, you know, Martin still has not said anything about what happened to dad other than, like, Janie, I'm going to protect you, blah, blah, blah. They're out on the beach, and who's watching them? The cartel. And very matter-of-factly, Jesus tells uh, Alfonso, uh, yeah, kill him. Okay. So um, I'm just waiting for it. And the, the pacing of them walking how quickly it all goes down, just an astounding sequence. Uh, Martin goes for his gun because he can feel somebody close to him. He gets a quick like mas- machete slash across the chest. Not fatal, but enough to take him down. And uh, Janie gets
1: shot through
0: the eye very very unceremoniously okay
1: yeah again i feel like it's a cautionary tale right like she was she was also kind of neutral throughout the thing like not not good not bad Um, when you
0: and i have different differing opinions on the the scene with her and baldwin where he basically talks her out of all of the you know Ivy League schools that she's been accepted to, and like no, come work with me at the come. And I was like, okay, it's another example of toxic masculinity. Like he uh, take remove the like creepy psychosexual like element to it. It seems like very much just a case of like I don't want her too far away from me. If I can't have her, nobody else can. Kind of thing. I can live vicariously through her older boyfriend, whatever but I'm going to keep her near me. Like, I don't have her mother anymore, so, yeah. So yeah. he sells her on it, and I know you said initially you kind of took it as like a, oh, maybe their relationship's kind of okay kind of thing, and I think...
1: Well, because, yeah, in yeah. a vacuum, take away the sexual undertones that exist exactly. there. You, yeah. You kind of think of it as this, like, that's, that's kind of a nice father-daughter moment, kind of. <laughs> like Yeah. Their version um, of
0: the closest thing these people have to it, for sure.
1: Right, and I think that's more of what it is. It's not what you would consider like a standard, like oh, what a great father daughter moment. But you're kind of like in this world for these two characters. That's about as nice as it's gonna get. Um, and but yeah, you throw everything else into there with with Billy Baldwin. Um, it it's got creeper creeper underlings the entire time, and yeah. But so, ultimately, she she gets the bullet to the eye after all everything's said and done. She sure does. Yeah. Um, so I I feel like we can
0: kind of like just breeze straight towards the end of this because I I know you probably need to wrap things up and so do I because we've been we've been going for a bit. But anyways, this leads to essentially the extended uh, torturing of Martin, which lasts the remainder of this episode, only to be broken up by f- further. Uh, Again, creepy psychosexual manipulation between Yuritsa and Jesus. And you want to talk about shit you've just never seen before? You've never seen bullwhips used like this? Never. Nope. you've Never. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure those videos exist. I have never seen them used like this, ever. Uh, Yeah. Just, again, firmly establishing who is in control. Who yeah, I is dominant in the dominant. She's this relationship. the powerful one. Yep. 110%. Okay. We get a little bit more of what's going on with the cartel and what's going on behind the scenes. Yuritsa, we kind of get the vibe, has been like slowly, methodically freeing the girls who are essentially enslaved into sex trafficking where she can, doing little good deeds from the inside. She's not trying to take the whole structure down immediately. So that would probably be very foolish because keeping while, her secret. Yes, while she does seem to have a little something special about her, and possibly supernatural, who knows, as as far as we know at the same time, she gets shot point blank, she still dies like a normal person. So she's playing it extremely smart and close to the vest, as she methodically is kind of taking this thing down from the inside. Parallel to this, uh, Vigo and Diana, they're kind of like, alright, I don't know what's going on with Martin, uh, Pico's mom is taking a turn for the worse, and he, uh, his kind of arc builds to a crescendo in episode nine, where he's just like, I just, I need to kill, I need to purge, I need to, like, just, I gotta, like, I need a release, essentially. And conveniently, Diana knows about this entire trailer park, which is all full of pedophiles. And we get what is probably the most audacious, in your face. Uh, just like this is a sequence to remember, kind of moment of the show.
1: And uh, very God bless America, very much um, so. Yeah, and what was that? It's, bo- uh, Bobcat Goldwith? Like uh, G- Goldwith, Yeah, he. So Reffin, he
0: can't. He can't be talking about any other sequence. He just can't when asked directly like what's your favorite episode or is there a favorite scene he said there's a moment in episode nine that i think is pretty much like my definitive statement on everything and i'm like if it's not this sequence i don't know what is
1: well it's got to be because it's got every it's got character tropes every person's a little bit different and doing different things and like hyper hyper
0: stylized yes um loved that we've got religious imagery we've got sex violence we've got america it's just it's all swirling together in this kind of just like kaleidoscope um of just like an orgy of violence essentially a, a purge so he goes out takes care of it and just again beautiful moment and we didn't hit on it sorry before martin's death but the the two of them had gone out on a hit in the previous episode come on Vigo hasn't been doing well for episodes at this point. Uh, he's coughing a lot, like worse than Cranston in uh, <laughs> in Breaking Bad, honestly. And they just have this really tender moment where he just asks Martin, like, "Will you sit with me?" And he stays with him. And I was I was like, "Shit, this is the scene where Vigo dies, right?" Well No, Vigo Vigo does not die. And the other moment that really did get to me, man, was the end of the end of this episode diane is waiting for uh vigo at a diner she knows where he, and like the time's been taken by she's getting a little concerned and everything and he shows up at the end and they exchange just a few words between the two of them it's all like in the eyes and i want to ask you about something else because you and i never really talked about it she, the, the two of them are like in love right at least she is, or he is, or they've never said it to each other?
1: No, I think they absolutely are, but I don't think it is a... It's not this romantic love that we, we associate with the word. Yeah, it's no, more of a I, just, I have... Uh,
0: I essentially had this narrative built up in my head where, like, he possibly saved her at some point, or avenged her, like, abuser down the road. Like maybe they met and formed a relationship or whatever, he did, and that was kind of the spark for this thing. But again, that's all That's all headcanon, that's all. Yeah, pure admiration for each you other. feel a history between, yes, you feel a history between the two of them. And again, in an essentially wordless scene, just the quality of the performances and the way it's shot, yeah, her waiting for him to show up at the end of this diner, I'm getting emotional where I'm just like, Hawks better walk through that door, man. Like, I hope he, he shows back up and... He does, and it's like an extreme relief. And then you're kind of like, where like, where are we going from here? And she's at ease because earlier opening of episode nine, she's greeted by a vision. This is when we get full on supernatural. She says the beings that you know give her the names, tell her what to do, tell her what's coming. Uh, that there's you know. a a lot of bad shit to come but on on the end of it or on the other side of it there is there is a woman and we are led to believe that that woman is yuritsa and so diana is pretty much just gonna wait around for her to show up okay so episode 10 Unless, you, is, there, is there anything else you want to cover before we get to the final no,
1: half hour? No, not at all. I think uh, we are we are on pace to wrap this up and then okay. ask a few so, final questions. To,
0: yes. To, to to recap, episode 10, uh, The World begins with what I believe is a five to seven minute um, solo masturbation scene featuring Jenna Malone. Uh, very tasteful, very purposeful reinforcing pretty much all of the themes of this entire show in one sequence that could very easily be written off by somebody who doesn't want to engage with it as like oh, seriously all, all these episodes are like an hour plus your final one is a half an hour and you chose to spend the first five to seven minutes of it with Jen Malone masturbating followed by her dancing around her home to Goldfrap for the entirety of the song not, not a snippet the entirety of the song, and then a monologue to no one, possibly a brief,
1: very. I brief think it's a psychedelic. I think it's a with Vico. Uh, it's a and connection. I think there's a. I think she is tapped into the spiritual world and is talking to someone. I just don't think they're in the room. Yeah,
0: they're not physically there in the space. Yes, yeah,
1: I like that. Um.
0: And that we get like i said brief scene with Vigo, uh, a farewell to john hawks if you will uh we get her monologue which is a very hopeful one and then we're into the last scene of the series which is uritza strolling into a bar uh, where some of the underlings that we've seen established in the last couple episodes are hanging out and uh she you know, she, she has a drink with the guy it's great you know he he's making the the house girls serve them drinks even though he's like inches away from the bottle and it's like this is fucking ridiculous like this is insane just she plays all of this perfectly and she requests that one of the girls play what is essentially this uh new folk song going around the area which is the high priestess of death and it's about her her deeds and how she goes where she can and frees people and does what's right etc cetera, etc cetera. and she She is justice. She is the revenge for like the evil that men do, et cetera, et cetera. So she has the girl perform it in front of these underlings, these thugs, and uh, they're kind of like, "Hey, what the hell is going on with that?" And no sooner than they process that, than she reveals herself. She is the high priestess of death, and she promptly and very, very coolly uh, kills all of these guys, and then the show's over.
1: That's it. (laughs)
0: yes how how'd you feel when those double doors to the bar close and we get judas priest just bumping and cut to black and the episode's over how Uh, how'd you feel about the series
1: as a whole in that moment and how did you feel about the note a little underwhelmed i think at the very end like wanting more um wanting more detail um Potentially wanting that scene to be more stylized, but I think uh, we got enough of that at the end of nine. Um, but ultimately, oh, there's that, yeah, the great scene with her at the hotel um, that I believe is oh, that was one phenomenal. That's eight,
0: or that was or the, no, her but at then the hotel you also was get the
1: ending eight. of nine, yes, which is me. the John Hawks montage, and so yes, I think yes, I wanted something me. like that, but ultimately, um, after everything said and done. Uh, yeah, there were moments where I found myself feeling tired, um, kind of saying like there were definitely Mm -hmm. moments of let's push this forward a little bit faster than what we're doing. Um, but ultimately the pacing was, I didn't really have a problem with that. I think there were just moments where I was just like, all right, I'm in it (laughs) and I'm like ready to go to bed at some point, but I don't know if it's now. (laughs) So, um, I feel, yeah. Um,
0: I think episode 10 in particular, of course, I see the run time to start with and I'm just so the whole time I'm watching the episode, I am conscious of just like this is not gonna have the normal flow of an episode because like normally the half hour mark is like where shit starts just getting crazy, not ending. So where's this gonna go? But I have rewatched that one since in isolation. And I I think it's essential for the f- kind of the final thesis statement of the show, mainly because we don't really have any other active female mm-hmm. like Janie's dead. Um, we don't have any other principal female characters, and so it would it would feel kind of odd to spend like a huge chunk of this with Jesus and some sort of storyline going on between him and Yuritsa. unless it was going to be wrapped up with a little bow of her killing him or something by the end of this but I think what we're left with is the implication that yeah she's gonna continue to go on and systematically like work from the inside clearly she has good intentions she is the hero of this story she's the new way forward um, that the, she is the key to the, the dawn of innocence that Jen Malone references that comes at the end of all of this chaos and turmoil all of the shitty things going on in the world right now uh, Apparently, if we just give Christina Rodlow the keys of the kingdom, all will be set right. So, uh, we
1: can start a, a
0: Kickstarter to make that happen. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, social media campaign, something. Like I don't that. think there needs to be a second
1: um, season. So, I think like
0: no, and you, yeah, you and I talked about it a little bit. It's like. I, I do not think we will ever get one. I don't think that's ever been in the cars. I don't think it's even been discussed. Even if all of a sudden this was like Amazon's biggest. Well ultimately
1: hit I ever. think Amazon like, I just I, think I don't I, see it happening. I don't know how true this statement is. Um but someone had kinda of mentioned to me offhandedly that um that Amazon kinda of went under new management halfway through all of this going down. Um, like the the making of it. And so mm-hmm. when they were initially like, Yes, let's give Refin all this money and let's do all this stuff new management was like, we can't change it, we can't edit it, we can't put him under new contracts, but we can bury it. Um, and so they just weren't very active in promoting it. Um, yes, no, you you will not find it just like
0: sitting on your Prime Originals list unless you direct search for it. They are definitely, they're not trying to shove it down people's throat, which I definitely, I mean, I think that's a good move. I don't think that's a way to sell this show to anybody that wasn't going to watch it already. I think you got to kind of let word of mouth the work for you for a little bit. And I I do think that people down the road, it'll be one of those things, you know, some guy who has a decent following on social media just, you know, does his amateur reviews or has a website or something like that. Somebody's going to like take a chance on it, uh, end up loving or hating it, but we'll, we'll get the, you know, get the ball rolling on it again, and then maybe it will become a little bit more of a conversation piece. It's also notable that it dropped, I mean just a couple weeks removed from like Thrones ending, Chernobyl had just ended. uh, You know, there's other stuff on the rise and there was a few, there was like one or two big ish movies out at the time. It just, it kind of got lost in the shuffle if you weren't already, you know, in the bag and excited and ready for it. So I, I think there is definitely the chance that more people will creep into it. That all being said, I don't know how the rights would work out, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if he will, if Amazon, given what you just said, will continue to produce future Refn projects,
1: be they movies Yeah, no or idea. Again, I think it was just... Because, of course, they had, they had money in Neon Demon, but... Yeah, so they um, had to know what they were getting into a little I, bit. I,
0: I think... Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think sequel, no. I think standalone film... Starring Christina Rodlow as the High Priestess of Death, as Yuritsa. Whether it is a continuation of where we left off the series, or it is a future adventure, or it is a prequel adventure. I really don't think it matters, but he he, and Baker, and all the cast and crew, God, Cliff Martinez in particular, I cannot say enough about this score. I think it's his best work, start to finish. Not just for sheer volume, I think he has synthesized to be extremely punny uh the best parts of like what works in the drive score my favorite parts of what works in the only god forgive score which is everything and then there's just a little bit of that like quintessentially outdoor LA sound uh that you get in Neon Demon and there it's just in a lot of ways It's the culmination of all of their collaborations together from a musical standpoint in the same way that you could look at the series as a whole as kind of a, you know, encompassing all of what Refn has been about, at least for the last decade or so. I don't think it's the Twin Peaks, the return scenario where I'm like, you can literally every single film in David Lynch's filmography is referenced in that show. Some more than others, some more overtly than others, but it is a, an entire statement on his his career to the point where he doesn't need to make anything else afterwards. Yeah, because it's all right there. So um, I don't think. So I guess what I'm saying is I think there's still an opportunity for another streaming series, whether it's on Amazon or it's on hashtag by NWR or some other service that's like. Hey, we like what you did over there. Hey, nobody really gave it to you. Why don't you, you know, come do a project for us? We'll, we'll give you carte blanche. We'll let you do whatever you want to do. I think there's enough support for him still, even after this, which a lot of critics just had issues with how it was marketed, how it was sent out to them, how he was with the press around the release, the refusal to call it a TV show, the refusal to call it a movie... that became more of the conversation around it than anything else honestly was the release strategy and what is it and I haven't seen a lot of conversation about the content because I feel like a lot of people just haven't watched that much of it so uh, where it will ultimately stand in the grand scheme of I'll put it under the television banner in the grand scheme of television for the year for everybody else who knows whether this is going to be like seen as an interesting but like really flawed experiment that somebody let him do or is maybe going to have the the masterpiece type you know cheerleaders i feel like the story is still being written about where this where the show is going to sit so inevitably i'm sure it will come up again but for right now for me personally this is not the pound for you know We want to talk about prestige and importance and I just, you know, all of that stuff. I think inarguably Chernobyl is the best, most well executed, most important, brilliantly acted, all of that like thing I have seen this year, but in my heart (laughs) and my soul, the things that like turn me on as a viewer, sounds really weird to say in reference to this show. I, I just I cannot. Every once in a while, you get the feeling that somebody made something just for you, and that happens so rarely. This was one of those, and it's it's my favorite thing of twenty nineteen, a year that has already been pretty stacked, over Cobra Kai. Uh, th- <laughs> yeah, no, it takes the cake. Baby. Um well, I, lo- I love I love me some Cobra Kai, dude. But too old, to die young is. I just it's it's a thing unto itself. Man. Yeah, absolutely. It's, there's nothing like it. I, again, uh, we brought up peaks. That's the, I can't even think of anything else to put in the neighborhood of it. At least right now. We'll we'll see. I hope there's more of this. I want uh you and I actually te- this would be a perfect teaser. Next time <clears throat> that I that you and I get on mic together, what I would like to do is you bring me three directors... Done. ...who you think deserve the the Netflix blank check or the Amazon blank check. The here's $100 million, you make it as long as you want, about whatever you want, cast whoever you want, go nuts, who not only deserves it, but would flourish in that medium... That is traditionally a film director, okay?
1: I can give you that answer right now.
0: I mean, I kind of want to say save it, but screw it. We're almost at two
1: hours. Lay it on me. I'm go- so my first answer is Ari Aster. Okay. Um, I just based off of Hereditary. There's something strange about the Joneses. Um, you know, Johnson. I don't
0: know what I. I don't know what the deal is with season two of it. Presumably, Mike Flanagan is busy with the uh, old uh, Doctor Sleep. I don't know when he's coming back. Give Give season two of Hill House to Ari Aster.
1: Yes, yeah, yes, I will. Let me see that I mean, show. And that's coming. Let me see that show. Let's um, so that's one. Um, I'm probably gonna steal one from you right now. If I had to guess.
0: Okay. Well, you you um, here you you say you're one for right now. I'm going to say my okay. one that I came up with and then we'll, we'll brainstorm we can even write some fictional like this is what the show would be this is who I would
1: cast <laughs> this is how many episodes like we we could have a lot of fun with that one so um one at a time that could be a whole mini series each each episode is us talking about one director's 10 episode series that they would create and that would just be one 45 minute episode yeah. and we'll do six of them we'll just
0: call it blank check parentheses in theory and I'm sure you know the blank check podcast will not get upset with us at all <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that'll be totally fine
1: um, so Ari Aster would be my first one okay um, my
0: my number one guy I'll go ahead and spoil it here I told it to you over the phone I was so glad when I thought of it and probably everybody else is like well, dude whatever uh, my pick is hands down Richard fucking Kelly okay, director of Donnie Darko southland tales in the box i if you're saying what the hell is southland tales in the box uh go watch those movies <laughs> he did make other movies and southland tales is a fucking modern masterpiece and nobody talks about it i i want to do an entire podcast just devo- like an entire series just devoted to that one movie uh, i forgot that he wrote domino he did he was a writer for hire for a bit and he has been responsible Darko Productions has been responsible for some great indies over the last couple of years but the dude has not made a feature since the box the box came out when i was in college okay?
1: 2009
0: yes <laughs> please come back to us richard kelly and some like somebody just get the guy just give him like 50, give him 50 give him 50 mil don't even ask for a script Just let him go do what he's going to do. Give him 10 hours. Just tell him that you'll release all of them. It doesn't matter. Let that guy tell a long-form story with a giant, sprawling cast. Let him essentially make Southland Tales the miniseries. Give me 10 hours of Southland Tales. That's (laughs) what I
1: want. All right, I think we got a new show, uh, a new series being born uh, for the movie arc as we speak. Yeah, I'll add it or to for the, the TV uh, arc. I guess, yeah, yeah. I'll add it
0: to the list for sure.
1: Um, okay,
0: <laughs> so we will get out of here. I, I, I we. I, I guess in our kind of final thoughts, I was so over the. I mean, I was so over the moon for it before it even started. Like I was pre-programmed to love this show, and it. Any aspects that quote-unquote disappointed me or threw me off were only things that made me think about it even more. And it's is—it's a show I have not been able to fully get out of my head Um, since I started watching it. I've been re-watching Refn's film output as well, going back to the ones I've seen and the ones that I have not yet. And it just... yeah... It's it's a great time to be a Nicholas Winning Raffin fan, and I and I am. One. This is my favorite thing of the year. It's a full on ten out of ten. If there's something else this year, movie or TV or streaming or music, like if there's anything that's gonna eclipse this for me, please, like, please let me know.
1: Because I think so. This I, will, it, this it, will I, retroactively
0: be like the best year for entertainment in my lifetime. But this. I have not felt this strongly about a, a piece of art of this ilk since Twin Peaks The Return, which is one of my three favorite things ever, like across
1: any medium. In in existence. I love it more than my parents.
0: It, things. Ob- objects, if you will. <laughs> I'm just... Yes. I'm just separating it from books, movies, blah, blah, blah. Just Twin Peaks the Return as a standalone piece of art is just one, well, mom, one of my dad favorite and
1: Twin Peaks the Return. You know, and then they, would, they wouldn't Gavin's even be Ford. mad at me. My
0: dad would be like, What the hell is Twin Peaks? But my mom would not even be mad at me.
1: <laughs> Gavin's at like a nine. <laughs> <on the laughs> we'll we'll list. see if they yeah. We'll see if they uh, listen to this episode and
0: we'll see how pissed Gavin is that uh that you got to talk about too old to die young in depth before he did but he and i will be doing that at some point soon i don't know when this is going out i'll probably drop it on a tuesday you want to uh as we wrap things up right here uh let people know what you've been doing for the last uh 18 19 weeks
1: and yeah uh, we uh,
0: what they have to look forward to
1: oh man we've got uh two more episodes of bending not breaking in season one Um, We will, uh, we backlogged majority of those episodes, uh, but we were, uh, we're about to start recording season two. um, And so we're with hopes that that'll kind of come at you in the fall. And so all we are doing is going through episode, episode of Avatar, the last airbender. Um, We hope we feel like we've gotten good reception. We hope people are enjoying it, um, but we are going to continue doing it. Uh, hopefully through the entire series of Avatar and The Legend of Korra. Awesome. Um, and so we've got six seasons uh, of work to do. Um, but it helps if y'all go subscribe to the uh, the Patreon page and that uh, for The Ark of E. patreon.com backslash The of E.
0: And if you want to catch up on all the latest episodes of Bending Not Breaking and all of the other podcasts that we do around here, the movie arc, the TV arc, that's what you're listening to. We also have the music arc. Uh, the Four Color Arc has been a little dormant for a bit, but uh, it's gonna be gonna be making a return probably in the fall of some some form. Uh, but yeah, you can listen to all of those on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, where they've always been available. But very importantly, hopefully you're listening to it via this app right now. We're on Spotify, uh, the entire Archive Network catalog of shows our back catalog as well for the most part except for the things that are exclusive to patreon now uh are all available on spotify i absolutely love their interface and their layout you get to see all of the the artwork the mixed media stuff that i you know i toil over and then i'm like does anybody actually see this does anybody even go to the fucking website to look at these episodes because it doesn't display on itunes or stitcher but uh Spotify has given us, a, 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 at least me, a, a second bite at the apple, hopefully for people to put their eyes on that, because I, I do try and put a decent amount of thought into the graphic design side of things. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you, th- that is where I would prefer people lis- listen in the future. I still, Stitcher is my preferred app. I think it's the best for podcasting in general, but I understand that Spotify reaches way more people and will hopefully turn on a lot of people who have never even listened to a podcast before so uh we're very excited to be on there i'm excited to finish the rest of bending opera i can say as a a non-watcher of avatar the last airbender this podcast is so good you don't even need to watch the show i'm seven episodes deep these guys recap it beautifully they get you know they get real they get into some real issues and they give you some practical like life advice just to like just for bettering yourself long term like you got you guys seriously have gone so far above and beyond the call like you put most of what we put out here to shame Uh, I I will shout out right here personally uh, Mayfield also has another show that doesn't get mentioned enough because it was a while ago he has a show called Lost in the Folds that is available on the music arc and that is one of my personal favorite things I have ever had the pleasure of distributing Uh, that's you and Max Gongaware that man needs to come back to this network. We'll get him back on mic at
1: some point. We'll get him. I still. Um, I. I'm still
0: oh. gunning. I'm still gunning for a, uh, sunshine, uh, or excuse me, a Mayfield Gongaware Pruitt. We've got to figure out the best way to combine those together. Um, a, a three man pod with with you guys on three very anything. different
1: styles and personalities but yeah exactly. Max Gongaware is the, uh, the the shining gem of all our podcasting so we'll get him I've, back on I feel like that
0: would be great um, if you guys you know I don't know want to talk about like God, the Iron Giant or like a movie from 1999 that would be cool
1: Maybe we can revive that before the year is over. <laughs> yeah, pause. oh yeah, I forgot that that was a thing. <laughs> well, yeah, no,
0: okay. So part of it, part of it was scheduling, and like the first one, the first one went off without a hitch. We got ten things I hate about you out there, and then it essentially, you know, it kind of fell off a cliff. And uh, part of that, admittedly, on my end, is because there's at least two major podcasts that I listen to that were doing offshoot. Like essentially the exact same concept we had, and the the sheer amount of overlap over what movies got picked, you would not believe. We sit here and we talk about '99, man, one of the best years for movies ever. Turns out everybody likes the same 15 movies from 1999, dude. Anyways, uh, so yeah, a little bit of a crowded marketplace, and you know the plan was to have all these different guests, blah blah. blah. The plan for that right now for anybody that was curious I haven't gotten a single email about it uh, by the way the at gmail.com if you ever want to yell about anything uh, wrong on any of the podcasts et etc et etc or if you just want to say hey you guys are doing a really good job you can also hit us up on Instagram at the RKV network on Twitter at the RKV, and on Facebook just search the RKV as well uh, but yeah you can you can go there let us know if this is a good idea or not but the plan, we're just going to do a giant size 9 for 99 episode. We're going to talk about all the movies that were supposed to be covered individually in a big old giant size episode. And it's going to be kind of like an open-door day policy here at the studio. We might have some people call in. Hey, I want to talk about Iron Giant for 15 minutes. Hey, I want to talk about Office Space for a little bit. Uh, we'll have listener call-ins. We will have uh, the staff calling in. We'll have maybe some bonus content from the Brothers Blanchard uh, up in Virginia. They're, they're working on some stuff. So... More on that later. We didn't forget about 90s Nostalgia. It's coming back eventually. Uh, But we've had had some other things in the works. For now, go over to the movie arc, listen to Manhunters if you're a Michael Mann fan. I think I have plugged literally everything to death. So the last (laughs) thing that I'm going to say, that is, yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. Uh, The last thing I'm going to say is a big, giant thank you to uh, my good friend, Mr. Sunshine Mayfield, for joining me here today on the TV arc.
1: No, thanks for having me, and I'm glad we were able to talk about such a uh, such an interesting show. Yeah, I hope we I hope we
0: brightened up everybody's day your your morning commute. Uh, I feel like I feel like we did a, a solid job of analysis, but I feel like we also like we could have sat here and really had a an hour and a half long dissertation over like the state of the world, um, just you know what what is morality like there's the, there's a lot of themes so that's what kind of the note I want to leave things on if yeah you, let's just if leave it watch, there if let's you just watch if you watch this that sh- no i'm just saying if you watch this show and you think it's you think it's hollow you think it is style over substance
1: could it's disagree on, more. it's
0: on you to put in the work the time to to get through the rest of this thing because I would challenge you to not have your opinion change in the course of these 13 hours. I think it is well worth your time. I think it has something to say and I think ultimately it's it's one of the more powerful versions of that message that I've ever seen presented in something simply because it kind of blindsides you. It's a little it's kind of a gradual realization of like oh That's what's the that's what this is about. Like, okay, and I don't know. Once I keyed into it, it just it elevated everything that much more for me because I was like, I was already on board with everything else, and then you tell me that like, no, you did actually put thought into it. It true, like, yes. Give the show a chance, please. Give the show a chance, people. Go watch it. It's called Too Old to Die Young. It's on Amazon Prime. We loved it. Uh. Next, you will be hearing the the second to the last episode of uh, Bending Not Breaking. Eventually, uh, Gavin and I will be back here. The next thing we have planned for the TV arc coming back in August. I'm not even going to tell you what it's about, but it is definitely nostalgic. I will tell you that much. You there, buddy?
1: Oh, I'm still here. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: I think that's the end of the episode. (laughs) Okay. Uh, For this week on the TV arc, I have been Noah...
1: I have been Sunshine Mayfield. And, uh, shit, I, I can't say we're the Blanchard brothers. I always
0: fuck this up when I have a guest. Hold on a second. <laughs>